This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. started this conversation now three weeks ago uh, this is our third part of this conversation we'll say it that way I told you that I was reading out of Deuteronomy and the Lord just kind of spoke to my heart and I want to read this to you our conversation is blessed obedience and I told you that God's given this blessing to these people and Honestly, we really don't want to look at the curses. I told you that if you want to really get to the nitty-gritty, read the next portion of this and look at the curses that come with the disobedience. But I want us to look at the blessed obedience today. Deuteronomy chapter 28, I'm reading this out of the New Living Translation, beginning in verse 1, says, If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all his commands that I'm giving you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the world. You will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. And here's where the blessings begin to be listed. Your towns and your fields will be blessed. Your children, your crops will be blessed. The offspring of your herds and flocks will be blessed. Your fruit baskets and your breadboards will be blessed. Wherever you go and whatever you do, you will be blessed. The Lord will conquer your enemies when they attack you. They'll attack you from one direction, but they'll scatter from you in seven. The Lord will guarantee a blessing on everything you do and will fill your storehouses with grain. The Lord, your God, will bless you in the land he's giving you. If you obey the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, the Lord will establish you as his holy people as he swore he would do. Then all the nations of the world will see that you're the people claimed by the Lord, and they will stand in awe of you. The Lord will give you prosperity in the land he swore to you, to your ancestors to give to you blessings with blessing you with many children numerous livestock abundant crops the lord will send rain in the proper time from his rich treasury in heavens and will bless all the work you do you'll lend to many nations but you'll never need to borrow from them if you listen to these commands of the lord your god that i'm giving you today if you carefully obey them the lord will make you the head and not the tail you'll always be on top and never at the bottom you must not turn away from any of the commands I'm giving you today, nor follow another or follow after other gods and worship them. I told you that the Lord just kind of stirred me in my thoughts that, you know, I want that kind of blessing, don't you? I want that kind of blessing. I want to be the head and not the tail. I want everything I put my hands to to be blessed of the Lord. Amen? If we ever get to a place we realize that without that we have nothing and we are nothing, then that need for that blessing becomes a little bit greater. You agree? We need those kinds of blessings on our life. This was a blessing that was poured out to the children of Israel. Moses is telling the children of Israel as he's brought them out of Egypt. He said, listen, if you obey all these commands, you walk through the letter of the law that I've given you today, these are the blessings God's going to be pouring out on you. 
Well, you and I did not come out of Egypt. We did not come into the the promised land as children of of Israel. We are now sitting here as the church of Jesus thousands of years later. You with me? So it was, you know, Lord, how do I receive these blessings? In what way can I receive the same blessings and the same promise that you promised your children of Israel? And it was just this simple thought that doesn't stray from the word. It's through blessed obedience. Well, what kind of obedience? How does this obedience look? Well, go back to my word. In Exodus chapter 20, God gave the direction. He gave the law. He gave what we know as the Ten Commandments. It's this covenant with the people of Israel to teach them and guide them and direct them in a way that they are going to be blessed. And it is the law. We have the letter of the law. But as we've already walked through the the half of this so far, and we're going to continue through this, the entire law revolves around God blessing his people through these commands. It's not that, that God's waiting for us to break commandment number three so he can execute us to death. It's that God's given us this law, this, this blessing to have no other God before him because he knows if we're worshiping him and only him, then the blessings he wants to pour out on our life are going to flow so much smoother when our focus is fully on him. He knows that we live in a pattern of work and a pattern of rest. And if he didn't literally give the children of Israel this command on the Sabbath day, you've got to slow down, shut up, be quiet, listen to the Lord, spend some time alone, spend some time resting. Then we as people would work, 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 work and never create a pattern of rest. Is there a law there? Sure. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Don't forget it. I told you last week, there's lots of things God was trying to instruct the children of Israel to remember. Remember the slavery. Remember the bondage. Remember the grace of God. Remember the miracles in the wilderness where he fed you over and over. Remember the water that come from a rock, the the unseen, the amazing miracles God performed. Remember those. And God's created a Sabbath, a day for us to stop and remember his goodness. He said, keep it holy, keep it separate, separate this day. Six days you shall work, one day you shall rest. Keep it separate, make it look different, make it look different than it was. I told you that it's not really popular, but God didn't tell us to attend church every Sunday in that command. That's not where it comes from. He tells us in Hebrews, don't forsake gathering together, coming together, encouraging one another. Don't get in the habit of forsaking that as some have done, but rather come together, encourage one another as the day to the Lord draws near. It's biblical that we be in church, but this commandment is more about the heart of slowing down, remembering the Lord, keeping a day separate and resting. So God's given these commands, but all throughout these commands, there's blessings that's poured out through them. Up to this point, they've all really dealt around The first uh, three were all about God and our relationship with the Lord. Have no other gods before me, beside me, all around me. It don't matter where we're talking about. Remember, we use the the platform as an illustration of our heart. We we said that God has no, uh, there's no place for anybody other than God, anything other than God on the platform of our heart. He deserves our highest worship, our highest praise. We try to tuck somebody off back in the corner. And when we do that, something we don't want to let go of, some attitude, We tuck it away, and then God doesn't have the platform of our heart, and something has crept in on his territory a little bit, and there we have created something other than God to worship. We said that 
We're, we're not to make, he said, don't make any images of any likeness of the earth, above the earth, below the earth. Don't worship them. Don't bow down and make them holy. We talked about how things, materialistic things and people sometimes take the place of our worship. God deserves our highest worship. He deserves our highest praise. And if we're not intentional, we break that loose and we allow something to come in, not necessarily bad things. We said that sometimes good things come in and break the routine of our worship. And rather than God getting our devoted attention, something, the enemy uses ministry. The enemy uses good people, good things to bring us to a place where we're distracted and now no longer God has our sole attention, but now other things do. We talked about using the Lord's name in vain and how the Lord's name is full of power. It's the name above every other name. It's the name to be exalted. And, and if we're not careful in, in certain situations, we substitute it in the place of curse words, which is about as low as we really can get. But even beyond that, we can positively, uh, it's, it's a negative thing, but even in this positive light, use the Lord's name in vain. The, Jesus said, there will become a day when, when you look at me and you say, Lord, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I perform miracles in your name? Didn't we heal the sick in your name? And, and he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. We can use the name of the Lord and the power of the name of the Lord goes forth, even though the relationship with the Father may not be intact. So those three revolved completely around our relationship with God, recognizing who he is as a sovereign God in our life. Then we got to the Sabbath, and that was really reflecting on us and reflecting on the fact that we have to remember the Lord and where he's brought us from so we don't forget. And so from 5 through 10, we kind of shift gears. And these commandments are not really about us, or they're not really about our relationship with God. They're not really about anything necessarily to do with the Lord, but they're about our relationships with each other. We, you and I are created for relationships. There's no way around it. I told you. Um, I blundered several weeks back talking about our online Bible studies. The point is, we aren't designed to be without human contact. We're created to be with each other. We're created for a physical touch, a hug. Jesus said, greet each other with a holy kiss. I ain't got to go that far, but we're created to touch. We need each other, right? And so we're created for relationship, but God has ordained and he set the rules, the standard for those relationships. So let's dive into these a little bit. And I'm going to be honest. We're going to get to a point in a minute where it may get a little uncomfortable and it's going to get a little whatever, but I think we've got to go there. Exodus chapter 20, verses 12 through 17. says, honor your father and your mother. Then you'll have a long life, full life in the land the Lord your God's giving you. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. And you must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male, female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Now, I took in my Bible this morning, and I wrote words out beside every one of those. And we're going to look at what each one of those commandments represents, and I'm going to give them to you as we walk through this. Honor your father and your mother. Let's look at this. Let's break it down. If you think back growing up, it's always fun preaching about honoring your father and your mother when your, mo your father and your mother are in the room. <laughs> Would not life have been simpler in many circumstances if you'd have just honored what you were told to do or not to do? 
You agree? Right or wrong, in your mind, it would have been simpler had you done what you were told to do. I can't get it through the minds of my precious angelic being children. Whether I'm right or wrong, if they would do what I asked them to do, life is so much better. Right? Honor your father and your mother. This is, Paul said this is the only, um, I'm going to make this very difficult on Miss Donna because I don't even really need my iPad. I'm going to walk through this for a little while. So we may not even hit this whole ton load of scripture that I gave her earlier. And if we do, I don't know that I'm going to hit it in order. So Paul said, it's the only commandment given with a promise. The promise is honor your father and your mother. Then you'll have this long, full life in the land I'm giving you. Right? Now, I love talking to students. And I love presenting this in a way that if God said honoring your father and your mother gives you this long, full life, what's the flip side? What does dishonoring give you? A short, empty life. <laughs> right? If God's word's true, and it's completely infallible, well, if honoring my father and my mother gives me a full, long life, it only makes sense to me that dishonor gives me a short, empty life. Now, I'm 30. I hope that somewhere along the line, me honoring my mother and father gives me a few more years past 30. But it goes beyond that. Humility and honor begin in the home. We broke the home system. When we broke the home system, we broke society. And I don't mean to be pointing fingers, but realistically, if we go back and look through history, in the 60s, we broke the home system. My family has just fallen in love with watching Andy Griffith reruns. Growing up, I honored my father, but I didn't like it. Now, we watch it every night. I left to go to church this morning. I, I left at 8.15, left the house. McCaden laying in the bed watching Andy Griffith. You ever notice that Opie never tells Andy no? Yeah, my kids are going to watch Andy Griffith all the time. Never does Opie tell him no. Andy's trying to get him. And one we watched last night, you remember Mr. McBeavy? I'm like going to really talk about it, I guess. Mr. McBeavy is this guy up in the trees that walks among the trees. He's got a shiny silver hat and his belt jingles because that's his 12 extra hands. And nobody believes that, that Opie's met this man named Mr. McBeavy. And Andy gets mad. That, Come on, son, we're going to the forest to find Mr. McBeavy. He's not there. So that night, Andy said, well, I reckon he needs a whipping. I wish it was that simple. Madeline, go to your room. I reckon she needs a whipping. I'm going to whip her. It'll be it unover. It's never that easy. <laughs> Andy sits down. Opie. Nope. Remembers how you was playing with Blackie out in the yard yesterday, and Blackie was make-believe. We were having fun with that game. Yeah, Paul. Well, isn't Mr. McBeavy the same way? No, Paul. Well, I need you to tell me that Mr. McBeavy's not real. Say it, son. Mr. McBeavy, Paul, I can't say that. And there's a switch all of a sudden. And Andy believes him. 
never once through that transaction did Opie disrespect Andy. I told Micah the other day, I said, I'm not having the big talks with my kids. I'm going to start writing down specific Andy Griffith episodes. And when things happen, I'm going to let Andy have the conversation with my kids. Cheating, honesty, lying. There's all these major conversations I don't even have to have because he explains it so much better than I could. And there's never any lip from Oak. Never. You with me? But we've broken that. And when we broke the home unit, we broke society. Because in the 60s, this whole thought kind of came about to rebel. I can do what I want to do. I've got this entitlement. And from that point forward, we watched the home break apart. And then for future generations, it didn't exist the way that it once did. Opie said, I'm going home to ride my bike, Pa. All right, son, take off. Yeah, right. We've lost it. And God knew from the beginning when he orchestrated everything around us that the home unit was going to be what held society together. It was going to be what held everything together. And it really, we can get all into, well, that's not where we live now. I agree. Now we live in a very broken society in very broken homes. So how do we now fix that? How do we minister to that? How does God come into play and, and heal those situations? Well, that's a deeper situation. We'll deal with it in a minute. But on the surface level, God knew from the onset, here it is, kids, here it is, mom and dad, kids, honor your father and your mother. But my struggle's always been, what about the daddies that don't deserve the respect? What about the mamas who don't care nothing about their kids? They've never been a mother and don't deserve it. I believe the word goes both ways because Proverbs 6.20 says, My son, obey your father's commands and don't neglect your mother's instruction. The writer is speaking to a child. My son, obey your father's commands and don't neglect your mother's instruction. It is being directed to the child. You agree? But in order for the child to obey the father's commands, it means the father has to be in place to give a command. You agree? So in order for the word to be fulfilled, father has to be in place to give direction. In order for the kid to not neglect mother's instruction means that mom is in place and she cares enough to give instruction. Right? It's a struggle. We live in the broken system all the way around now. But to understand, we've got to understand that the broken home broke society. So we get to a place and we've got to get to the reality of the fact that what was the purpose? What was it trying to teach? Yeah, Opie did a good job, mine and Andy. But if you pay attention, there's never a person that Opie disobeys. Never. It ain't just Andy. It don't matter who asks him to do something. It don't matter who speaks to him a certain way. Opie is always respectful. He's always humble. He's always submitting to the authority. Right? Peter said it like this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority. 
whether the king is head of the state or the officials as he is appointed, for the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and honor those who do right. God's trying to accomplish something at home from the beginning. I'm going to take a chance here because we put this mess online. I was in a class this week. When Brother Michael Ball was here, he and I had a conversation. I think he had it publicly. That's why I don't mind talking about it, about school stuff. Well, I was in the class, in a class this week, and there's this instructor. For some reason, thinks, because he's the instructor and we're the students, that he has all the power in the world. Very strict, very, when you're in class, you better be in class. You better tell anybody that's in your office, do not open your door, do not come in. You're in class. You do not answer a phone call. Um, you've got to have the law. Without the law, there is no instruction. La, la, la. He quotes scripture to fulfill his, anyway. So we're sitting in class, and all of a sudden his phone rings. <laughs> Home dog. Picks up his phone. God bless you, Pastor. This is a call from Nigeria. Hold on, let me step out of my class. <laughs> that class isn't recorded, thankfully, because I know that although I acted in humility, my face probably said a lot. I mean, I just kind of sat there like, really? This really high. So he comes back in. He said, ah, we live in a time of inequality. The teacher can answer the phone, but the student can't. Ha, 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 ha. Really? We've been waiting on some grades. He says, I'm not giving you a grade till after the drop ad date, because if you knew you were failing, you would leave my class. Well, that's fantastic, Mr. Instructor teaching at the Pentecostal Theological Seminary. I appreciate your Christ-like attitude of grace. But here's what. Madeline said, what'd you do, Daddy? McCain said, I'd punch him in the throat. <laughs> and Micah says, you sat there humbly and respectfully, didn't you, Daddy? <laughs> yes, I did, babies. You know why? Because I learned a long time ago honor and humility i don't care how wrong the man is he's above me he has authority and i respect him but it started a long time ago at home i'll say this from the pulpit and i don't believe that there could be an argument i don't believe that there's been maybe other than one time when my mama popped me in the mouth I'm 16 years old, never been so mad in all my life. Ain't nobody ever hit me in the mouth but my mama. There's never been a time that I've lost my temper. There was never a time that I lost my cool, that I spoke. I may have, that day I said something sarcastic, not really meaning to say whatever it was sarcastically. It just came out when it came out. It did not come out the same way it was processing. But it really wasn't out of disrespect. It wasn't a dishonoring way. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I got plenty of flaws. But this is one that I can testify. God's trying to orchestrate in the home unit humility and honor that walks throughout of life. It walks throughout. So my word that I wrote beside that is humility, honor, 
your father and your mother, and then God's given you this long, full life in the land he's promised you, honor comes with humility. And God's trying to teach humility. Let's move on, because i got a lot to cover. You must not murder. The King James Version says, thou shalt not kill. We have to break that down just a little bit to get to the heart of the command, though. We got to understand from the beginning that this entire book, from beginning to end, there's not a page of this that was written in English. It wasn't. Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And we've done our very best (laughs) to somewhat translate it and get to a place where we believe that it's accurate. I personally have dug into the Greek a little bit and have no clue how we arrived to the fact that we think we got it together. I started trying Greek, and I said, Micah, who in the world sat down one day and said that these scratches and scribbles on a page meant this? It makes no sense. So we've done our best. So this is a fine example. The word ratza is is never used in the legal system or the military, but it's the word used here for murder, for kill. Ratza. It's a Hebrew word that's used, and there's other Hebrew words that are used for execution and death or for the kind of killing that a soldier might do in combat. It's not ratzah that's used in hunting and killing animals. So to understand that we shouldn't kill isn't really the heart of the message. It's more about murdering. Premeditated. Hatred-filled killing. What's interesting, though, is in Luke chapter 10, we see this play out in a little different way. You know the story. There's a Jewish man walking down the road. Some guys come up. They rob him. They attack him. They throw him in a ditch and leave him to die. By definition, they have broken the command and they have chose to murder. You with me? We agree on that fact? Here's where it gets messed up, though. Because the priest walks by, and instead of going to help the man, he he steps to the other side of the road and continues on his way. The Levite, or a temple leader, a a, a temple, a synagogue leader, a person of, of high rank in the church, walks by and does the same thing. Instead of going over and showing grace and humility like he would have learned from mama and daddy, he decides his calendar is more important. He rolls on and keeps moving. Jesus is telling the story. He says a Samaritan comes up. The person that should be completely against the Jewish man comes and decides to get him out of the ditch, take him to an inn, and pay for what he needs to be taken care of. The robbers killed the man, right? The robbers committed murder, right? So did the priest and the Levite. By ignoring the fact and choosing not to do What needed to be done by not preventing harm from coming to the man, by putting themselves above his own well-being, they might as well have committed murder as well. You with me? That hurts. Martin Luther said that the commandment is violated not only when a person actually does evil, but also when a person fails to do good to his neighbor. 
or though he has the opportunity, fails to prevent, protect, or save him from suffering bodily image or harm. Our whole goal through this whole conversation has been to step back to Jesus. How do we view the, the, the Ten Commandments? How do we view this Old Testament covenant through the lens of the New Testament, through Scripture? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 24, You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, other translations translate that to fool, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. He even goes on, he says, if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, meaning we come into the house and worship the Lord, and suddenly you remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice at the altar. Go and reconcile to that person and then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Jesus makes it clear that there's a heart issue taking place. It's not just the physical killing or the neglecting to kill, but beyond that, it's a heart issue that if I harbor anger and if I harbor hatred towards somebody, bitterness towards somebody, Jesus said you're as subject to the courts as the person that actually put somebody to death. You're not a murderer. He goes on and for me, my word was meekness. The opposite of anger and frustration and bitterness in my heart is meekness. He goes on and says, you must not commit adultery. Now, this is where we get a little bit uncomfortable in our conversation, but here's the deal. Everybody else, everything you take part in, every place we go, unless we live in a bubble, is influencing this part of our life. So if we don't, the church, do something in some way, to combat it, then we're only giving in to what the world would have for us, okay? Adultery, by definition, is any sexual relationship outside of marriage. Some might say you've got to be married to commit adultery. Well, I don't agree. My definition is it's any relationship of a sexual nature in any way that's outside of marriage. I believe that a single person that's not married can commit adultery. Because in some way, shape, or form, we're created for relationship. God's designed us for relationships. So whether we're actively in a relationship or we're going to be in a relationship, for me to step outside of the bounds, for me to step outside of the line, even as a single person, means that I've stepped out of, outside of the lines for either a future spouse or somebody else's future spouse. Chances are. Everybody going to be married? No. Chances are, though. I'm stepping out of bounds and I'm crossing the line in some way to affect either myself, my future spouse, or either somebody else's future spouse. You with me? But it goes deeper. We ain't even got to get into the technicality of adultery because Paul said it like this. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, 
He said, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. The NIV says, don't even have a hint of sexual immorality. You realize that a pinch of salt or a hint of salt is just a teeny, teeny, teeny bit, but it's still there? I read something a while back that was mind-blowing to me and opened my eyes to some things that were very different than what I had looked at before. We don't even understand. We won't slow down and walk through what we allow to come in. I ain't going to ask you if you've seen Forrest Gump. We all say run, Forrest, run. But I could break that down a little bit and show you that you don't even realize, I didn't, maybe you do. The sexual immorality that has been portrayed and been allowed in through a movie that seems as innocent as far as Gump. I love this verse of scripture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5 says, God's will for you is to be holy. I talked about this last week. I don't really care for the question of how far I can go or what I can do. Or the question is, how holy can I be? God's will for you is to be holy. I don't even really have to have how I'm going to do it. It's coming in the next couple verses, the next couple phrases. But we have to understand from the get-go of God's chosen people, the will for God in our life, God's will for us is to be holy. So how do we do it? He said, well, you stay away from all. It don't just mean adultery outside of a marriage. All sexual sin. And then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful, lustful passions like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. He said you control yourself. Control yourself. This is interesting that what Jesus kind of takes this whole thing and twists it a little bit. In Matthew 5, 28, it says, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I'm not a woman. I can't speak to the woman side of this. Thank you, Jesus. I know my place. I know my gender. I know my identity. But I can tell you that men are created in a way that we're supposed to be driven crazy. Just being honest. The problem is that Satan has figured out the buttons to press so that we're driven crazy in every way except the way God intended. And it's an intentional battle. Job said that I've made a covenant with my eyes that I might not look at a woman with lust. Mitchell has to intentionally quote that verse of scripture that there's a covenant with my eyes. I don't care who you are. We are not exempt from this, men. Because God designed us in a way for this to be powerful and he designed us in a way for it to be enjoyed. Women, one day somebody else can have a conversation with you. So here's the struggle. We've become so desensitized 
And we've become so blinded that we don't realize it's not just a hint that we're allowing in. We live around a world of immorality. And not just around it, but we're consumed by it. And it is a constant struggle every day to die to ourself so that flesh doesn't rise up and take over of what the Spirit wants to do. I love the Thessalonian scripture because I ain't got to get into the details. I don't have to say anything else other than God's will for you is to be holy. Therefore, if we are not holy, we are not in the will of God. We ain't got to get into the technicalities and definitions because if I'm called to be holy, the definitions really don't mean anything. They mean nothing. Because there's a covenant with our eyes. He said, you shall not commit adultery. Jesus said, if you take a look that lasts longer than it should look, lasts longer than it should last, you've committed adultery in your heart. It's easy to say. It's a whole lot harder to, to grab and do. If you look lasts longer than it should last, we're in the cursed disobedience category. I know this isn't jump up and down and be excited. I'm just... Somebody's got to tell the truth. I'm just saying. Somebody's got to tell the truth. I got word this past week of a young couple... We never know who's struggling and who's not, first of all. Marriages are crumbling. Brand new marriages, long down the line marriages. Here's an interesting thought. The children of Israel, when they had entered into the promised land, there's, this, there's a doctrine, it's called the Balaam Doctrine king called this guy in Balaam. He said, hey, I want you to curse the people of Israel. He said, I ain't cursing the people of Israel. And God told him, don't even go in the beginning. And Balaam went anyway. He said, fine, I'm going. I'm going to do what I want to do, God. They promised me all this stuff. He said, well, fine, if you go, go, but do exactly what I tell you to do. Say exactly what I tell you to say. The people of Israel started intermingling just a little bit with the people around them the men begin to go and have recreational activities with the women of the outside of the Israelite camp. At first it's great, and then I can kind of picture it playing out. Well, if you're going to come with me tonight, honey, you got to go to church first. Well, fine. That sounds like whatever. I don't, I'm not going to worship anything you worship because I worship the one true God. I'm, an, I'm a child of God. Yeah, whatever. Come on, we're going to church. So she takes him to church, to the temple, where they're worshiping Baal. Just go ahead and throw some worship to it. You're going home with me, right? I need you to worship what I'm worshiping. And a curse comes on the children of Israel because all of a sudden now they've broke the first commandment, not nothing to do with adultery. 
They broke the first commandment, but it started because of the sexual temptation and the sexual sin and the immorality. It's amazing story after story after story through Scripture. It ain't got to be mine. It ain't got to be yours. Through Scripture. That a sexual fall led to destruction. Over and over and over. God's will for you is to be holy. All right. Purity. That's our word. Purity. Humility. Meekness. Purity. You must not steal. I got a long way to go and a short time to get there. But we're going to see, we're going to do what they say can't be done. You must not steal. There's two ways stealing affects our relationship with God and people. First of all, stealing is a failure to trust God's provision. If I choose to steal, it means that I don't have enough faith that God's going to give me what I need. You with me? Secondly, it means that I'm taking the provision that God's already given somebody else. I'm robbing them of their blessing that God has given them. It affects me because I don't trust God. I don't have faith in his provision for my life. Secondly, it affects the person, and I'm robbing them from the blessing God's already put on their life. It gets ba- this gets back to the basic principle, though, realizing that God is our provider. God's going to provide everything that we could possibly need. It's interesting, though. I told you last week we were created to work. When Adam was put in the garden, he was told, cultivate the ground, take care of everything, work. It wasn't until the curse come that work become really not fun anymore, and it became hard. Work was supposed to be pleasurable. There's certain work that is pleasurable. Most of the time, if we're working in the will of God and we figured out what it is that our calling is, we really don't work. We're fulfilling a calling. We're called to work. Proverbs teaches us that laziness leads to poverty. But instead, we should follow Paul's lead. Still no longer work doing something useful with our own hands that we may have something to share with those in need. So for me, we get to the heart of the issue. Do not steal really is more about generosity. Because if I don't steal and I trust in God to provide what's for me, he's going to pour more out on me than I could have ever taken in the first place. He's going to pour more blessings on me than I could ever go out and take in the first place. We get a little deeper, though, because it's not just things and materialistic things that I can steal from somebody. I can rob God as fast as I can rob somebody. Realistically, a little bit faster because nobody sees that one. We can even go through the quick thought process that I can rob God of my tithe, as the prophet Malachi talked about, but I believe we don't even have to get on that conversation. We can move past that, and I can rob God of the worship that's due to him. I can rob God of the honor that's due to him. I can rob God of the humility that I should have realizing he is sovereign. By me robbing God in my tithe, I rob him of the fact that he's sovereign and all blessings are flowing through him and it's a calling that he's given us to do. Therefore, I'm robbing him of what he has for me. Do not steal is a lot, a lot deeper than me saying, well, I like this ink pen, I'm going to take it and it's going to be mine. That's simple, it's done. 
other than me having to figure out at some point in time to repent for stealing that pen, there's no eternal effect. But if I begin to rob the worship that's due to God, it is an eternal effect that comes along with that. We've broken the very first commandment again, have no other God before me. By me letting my worship go anywhere else, I'm robbing God. We can rob other people, we can rob God, and we can rob ourselves. Because if I can't get control of my life in all areas, putting that pen back just so y'all see that, then I'm robbing myself of the blessing God wants to pour on me. Do not steal goes to the thought of generosity. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. The context of this verse, and I promise I'm going to finish in just a minute. The context of this verse is in a courtroom setting. Don't testify falsely against your neighbor. Because when the law was given in the beginning, we walked through Leviticus. There was no DNA samples. There was no fingerprinting. There was no matching identities. If you said, I killed somebody, I killed somebody. That's how much weight that the word had. <laughs> That's another whole sermon we could walk into, the weight of the word. How long y'all got today? The testimony had authority over life. But what was so great about the law, though, was it wouldn't let Kevin put me to death. It had to be two. The testimony of one wasn't enough. It had to be two. But two people. Kevin could say, I want him dead bad enough. I'm going to give somebody 10 grand just to go stand with me and say, he did what he did. I'm done. The weight of their testimony could put a life to death. The other safeguard that was put in place is if he wants me dead, he's the one that's got to throw the first stone. If he's the one accusing me, and he says I've done what he says I've done, in order for me to die, he has to throw the first stone to murder me. We can tie all of this back to Jesus all of this back to the people that crucified him, that they're the ones that wanted him dead. They're the ones that had to, to throw the first stone. If you, they're the ones that had to, to stand there and yell, crucify him. We can tie it all back to, to Jesus. Point is, there's, there's power in a testimony. There's power in words. And God's not called us to act falsely and testify falsely against her. How do we do it? Well, I accuse him of something that didn't happen. I lie to him or lie to somebody else. I walk around gossiping in a way that I'm not supposed to gossip. There's lots of ways that I can testify falsely against my neighbor. If I say something that ain't true and I go home and tell Micah, Kevin did so and so and so, that ain't, it's the furthest thing from the truth. I have just intently falsified information and I've spoken falsely against him. Integrity is the word. Integrity. There's so much power in truth, the word of God. This is the word of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if I've got it in me to testify falsely, if I've got it in me to lie, that means I sure enough don't have it in me to be truth. You with me? It's a hard issue. Sure, it dealt with the law. You better not testify falsely against your neighbor because if you do, when Moses gets up to judge them, that person's going to die and had no business dying. But it's so much deeper. 
Realistically, Kevin's word's not going to kill me in the physical realm, but it can absolutely harm me, but more so it's going to harm him. Do not testify falsely against your neighbor. The last one is you must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, anything that belongs to your neighbor. I wish my neighbor had an ox that I could not covet, but at least go look at and rub. That'd be cool. Will you come help me finish this up, please? I got to get done. Here's the thing. This is all about contentment. I don't care what kind of car or house sits in the Joneses' driveway. And if I'm trying to keep up with them, do you realize they could give a flip less? It's not really about the covetousness. Scripture talks about it. We're not to covet. Even beyond this thought of don't covet, Scripture goes into more detail. Don't live a life that's covetous. Don't live a life of greed. It doesn't matter to the person that I'm actually coveting after that I'm coveting after them. It affects them not. It affects me. And this one's actually a little bit different because this, can you put that first part of that verse back up, please? I keep looking at the screen. It's not there. and It's just weird and awkward, so I need it to be there. So don't make me feel weird. This is a heart issue. It has nothing to do with taking somebody's life. It has nothing to do with taking somebody's wife. It has nothing to do with lying against somebody. It's about the condition of my heart. My neighbor is not affected whether I covet his house or not. He's not. I am. So, my word is contentment. But how do we get there? Just by a show of hands, I ain't trying to put nobody on the spot. I'm not going to ask you to quote it, but if you think you could quote Philippians 4.13, raise your hand, please. Could you quote Philippians 4.11? Because we love that scripture, but we don't love the context. I preached a sermon several weeks back to another group of people, and the title of it was Enough. You are enough, you have enough, because God's enough. And this was our runway that we landed our plane on, just like I'm about to do right now. Can you throw up Philippians 4.11, please? Maybe. Did I give it to you? Did I put it on there? This is Paul talking. There's a church that wants to help him out. He's talking to the church at Philippi, to the Philippian people. He said, I appreciate your help now. I'm so thankful, even though you couldn't help me before. <laughs> thanks for trying to help me now. He says, not that I was ever in need, though. For I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. We love 413. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But where did it come from? I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty with plenty or with little, that's where the verse comes in. 
for I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I mean, I go to the gym like three times in the last four weeks, but sit there on the machine and I'm like, my arms are burning, they're wore out. I told you I'm blaming it on COVID. Everything else is blamed on COVID. I'm blaming my weak muscles on COVID. And in those moments, I'm like, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And that feels real good, but that has nothing to do with the context of the scripture. Can I do all things through Christ? Absolutely. Does he give me strength in my weakness? The Bible says that his strength is made perfect in my weakness. So yeah, there's, there's no wrong in that. But we love to quote this, but we don't like to walk through verse 11. Throw it back up there again, please, 11. I was never in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. You know why I can preach on this? Because I struggle with this. Micah will tell you more than it. The other day she said, it's just another one of your kicks. I'm just along for the ride. I'm going to honor my mother and father and not say that my mom just agreed with me right then. I do. I struggle with it. I don't necessarily covet what somebody else has, but I'm also not walking in contentment all the time either. Just being honest. First of all, my neighbor ain't got the kind of car I'd want to drive. <laughs> Learning to live in a place of contentment is not an easy place. And so I think the way that I can sit in the gym and try to lift that weight and I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. Not because my voice is low, but it's about because I'm about to die because I'm trying to do more than I can. Takes me five days to get over that one workout. I heard you laugh at me. You don't even want a microphone. Yeah, it's a venue. <laughs> Lord bless us today. It's a whole lot harder, though, for me whenever I'm on one of my kicks to quote that scripture back to myself. You know why? My kicks don't come in and kick me upside the head and like let me know, hey, this is a kick. It starts small. I'm like, wonder what that would be like. Wonder what it would be like to drive that kind of car. The other day, I took Micah's car into the shop just because I didn't want to deal with whatever rental they wanted me. I told him I was going to buy one, and I truthfully, honestly, was open to buying a car. I didn't tell them I was going to. I told them I wanted to test drive this kind of car. I drove around in a brand-new Honda Accord for three days. Why? I don't know. I'm a Jeep guy. But that Accord was nice. When you turned the air conditioner, like the, if you got it colder, the little ring around it lit up blue. You got it hotter, the little ring around it lit up red. It doesn't matter whatsoever that that took place. But I got on a kick. We priced out this joker. Had I known in the moment, dude, you're being an idiot, as Scripture said earlier, and this is a kick. I'd have been like, Psh, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I love my Jeep. Which was a blessing from God. I've testified that to you before. The desire of my heart for 10 years was to drive a Jeep. As little or small as that may be to you, that was God fulfilling that after 10 years' time. And here this little thing flies by so high. The way that we walk through 
not coveting my neighbor's house, my neighbor's wife, my neighbor's male or female servant. Thank Jesus he doesn't have them. But his car, his kids, his career, his education, his bank account. Not to covet any of those. Because I can somehow or another learn to live in contentment. It's my word, contentment. And how I do that? <laughs> I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. You will never quote that verse the same again. I declare that right now. You won't. Because now every time you quote it, because you're sitting there trying to push through something or a situation, it's going to be, I can be content because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Here's the deal. Here's why I drug it out to finish. I'm done with the thought. But commandments 1 through 10 have to get us to a place to realize that Jesus wants what's very best for us. The commandment of God, the law that was inscribed on two tablets given to Moses, is this beautiful thing that we put up, we'll make statues of it, we'll hang it on the walls. It's gorgeous. Love it. But it's so much deeper than thou shalt not kill Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Now, there's a lot of shout nots in that. Let's be honest. A person that I'm trying to tell about the goodness of God don't want to hear that I shout not this, I shout not that, I shout. We miss the entire picture. If I'm trying to tell somebody about the goodness of God and all I'm doing is telling them all this stuff they shout not do. We miss it. We miss the heart. No, I don't have to put any other gods before me because the sovereign God that I serve is above everything else. He solved every other problem in my life before it ever was a problem. So no, I won't have any other gods before me. I'm going to strive to push that, but it's because God deserves that. I'm not going to create another image to worship. I'm not going to worship somebody or something else because God is my creator. He's the creator of all, and he deserves all the worship. I don't have to use his name in vain because I can declare, in Jesus' name, be healed, and no healing is going to come. I can declare victory in Jesus' name and know there's power. I'm not saying it in vain. There's power in the name of Jesus. So no, I'm not going to use his name in vain. I'm going to use it with power and authority, knowing that he's going to walk me through whatever the situation. I'm going to slow down. I'm going to remember all the goodness of the Lord on the Sabbath. I'm going to keep it holy. I'm going to attend church. I'm going to be here to hear his word, but I'm also going to rest. I need a breath. I'm not going to murder anybody in my heart, but it's not really about murdering me, taking out a gun and shooting him. It's more about the fact that he and I can be brothers if there's no discord, if there's no bitterness. I can sleep better at night knowing there's no anger, there's no frustration. The blessing of my worship carries a whole lot more weight knowing that somebody ain't got something against me. I ain't got to steal from you because God's blessings are being poured out on my life daily. And I've got trust in his provision. And I ain't going to take from you what he's poured out on you. And I ain't going to be jealous of what he's poured out on you because what he's given me is way better than what I could ever take from you. I'm going to live a life of purity. Why? Because the word says so. There is freedom in purity. I'm telling you, men, there is freedom in purity. Freedom, unashamed, can look somebody in the eye. There's freedom in purity. So I'm not going to commit adultery in my heart by looking at somebody longer than I need to look at them. Woman, 
I didn't do this to you. Proverbs over and over and over says, man, stay away from the adulterous woman. If she didn't exist, it wouldn't be a struggle. I don't have to covet my neighbor. I sure enough ain't going to testify falsely about a brother. I didn't quote it to you, but it was in their long 1,500 list of scripture that I gave them. You're accountable for every idle word you speak. Lord, help us if it's a life filled within, with false information and lies. I'm going to live an integrity, a life of integrity and uprightness. And I'm learning to be content with the blessings God's poured out on my life. And all of this takes us back to the fact that Jesus loved me enough. Although he could have broken the will of the Father, I don't struggle asking God why and wrestling with God because Jesus said, Lord, if there's any stinking way I don't have to go through this, I don't want to do it. Beg God, let it pass from me, Lord. But not my will, but your will be done. All because he loved us enough to give us life and life abundantly. I don't care nothing about the thou shalt nots. Because if I get to a point in my life where Jesus is the only platform of my heart and I'm worshiping with all I am, I ain't got to worry about the thou shalt nots. Do I fight them? Sure. Are they constant struggles? Yeah. If I got a covenant with my eyes that I walk through on a daily basis, you best believe it. But it ain't that I'm following rules and regulations. It's I'm called to be holy because he's holy. And I'm living a life of faithfulness and holiness and purity and integrity and contentment, humility, meekness because he's holy. Father, I love you. God, I thank you for goodness and grace. Lord, I thank you for forgiveness. I thank you for direction over our life. I thank you for the blessings you've poured out on us, Lord. God, we've walked through this journey of something that could have been so simple. We, we maybe, we can quote the Ten Commandments. We know them, God, but I hope and pray that, Holy Spirit, you've ministered in a way and we have looked at this on a, from a different light. We've seen it from a different lens to today, uh, last Sunday and the Sunday before. Maybe, God, something's been said, something's been stirred to push us, to pull us. God, for the obedience, the, the blessed obedience you want to give us, the blessings you want to pour on our life. Father, the, for me to be the head and not the tail, for everything my hand touches to be blessed. God, for my, my family to be blessed, my livestock to be blessed, my fruit bowls to be full, my bread bowls to be full. God, every Everything that you want to pour out on my life, God, comes from this simple life of obedience. And I say simple because it all gets wrapped up in your statement, Jesus, of love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Be holy because I'm holy. God, we've fallen short. We've messed up. We, we've struggled. We've walked through trials. We've allowed our flesh to fall into temptation. God, and I pray that if that's us today, that we come to you with a repentant heart, realizing that you paid for that forgiveness on the cross, Jesus. And I can come to you with everything I have, and I can nail my shame to a cross. 
The sin is no more because when you rose, you rose with freedom in hand from me, God. Father, I pray that something has moved your people today. God, I pray that in these next couple moments, if there's something they need to repent for, Holy Spirit, I pray you put it on them so heavy they can't walk out the door without repentance. If they need to reach out to you, Lord, to confess sin, to confess maybe just a root of bitterness, a root of anger, a root of frustration, Lord, let it not lead to murder. Let it not lead to murder in our heart. Maybe there's some men that need to make a covenant with their eyes. Maybe we need to commit ourselves to purity, to a pure life. Maybe we need to commit ourselves to integrity. I pray in these moments, Father, we would do that. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you care about us enough to give us instruction for our life, not that it has to be viewed as the thou shalt nots, but it's a book of life, and your instruction is life-giving. And as you give us the direction and we follow the direction, you pour out life abundantly for us, Lord. Father, I pray that you bless your people. Bless us and keep us. Lord, let your face shine on us. Give us peace. Turn your eyes to us, Lord, and protect us in Jesus' name. Amen.